Good morning, friends. It is so wonderful to be here with you today. And a very special greeting to all the dads in the room and to the dads who are with us online today. Happy Father's Day. Um, I've got the mic, so I want to give a quick shout-out to my dad. Um, Daddy, thank you for everything you do. Man, we are so blessed by you. And to my man, you rock my world. (laughs) So to all the dads out there today, thank you for your love and provision and protection of your families. Thank you for your courage in leading your families in the ways of God. So before I fling us into the preach, I would like to ask you to do something for me. I want you to have a good look at your hand. You can choose right or left, doesn't matter. Have a look at your hand. And why don't you flex your fingers a little bit, touch your fingertips to your thumb, put some pressure there, twist it at the wrist, make a fist. It's pretty incredible, these appendages that we have at the end of our arms. We take our hands for granted, but man, they are magnificent feats of engineering. There are about 27 bones in the average hand. And every one of them matters in how our hand functions. Just ask somebody who's broken a bone in their hand. I think we take them for granted because they come with us wherever we go and we're using them all the time. I mean, we use them to drink our coffee, to type messages on our phone, to play a musical instrument. And our hands convey feeling, a hug, a squeeze of the shoulder, Uh, just stroking our baby's face. We also communicate using our hands with hand gestures. I do that too much. (laughs) So we've already said that there are about 27 bones in our hands, but our hands also have more than 100 ligaments, 35 muscles, and a bunch of nerves and arteries. Just moving your thumb takes nine individual muscles, and the cooperation of three major nerves working together in sync. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but our hands are almost never still. Other than when we're asleep, our hands are usually moving. Your hand is a marvelous mathematical and artistic creation. Sir Isaac Newton once said that the thumb alone would be enough to convince him of the existence of God. We are wonderfully made by a master designer and engineer. We're going to be reading today about a man whose hand didn't work. And we are going to be reading about the master designer who took our brokenness onto himself so that through his brokenness, he could set in motion the restoration of the world. So let's read together from Luke 6 and from verse 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them now. It will be up on the screen behind us. On another Sabbath... Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so they might find a reason to accuse him. 
But Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. We're going to be looking at two big ideas today from these four little verses in Scripture. We're going to be looking at the beauty of Sabbath, and we're going to be looking at seeing the person in front of us. So our passage opens up with, On Another Sabbath. You see, something had happened a Sabbath or two prior to this that had gotten the Pharisees really bent out of shape. Jesus and his disciples had picked and eaten grain from a field, and technically, that was considered work. The Pharisees were offended because in their eyes, Jesus was dishonoring this day that was meant to be holy. And so we get to this encounter this morning. And they're still feeling angry with Jesus. And they see that there is a man who has come into the temple, who has come to worship. And this man, his right hand is withered. It's atrophied. And the religious leaders are watching Jesus because he keeps doing things that break the rules of the Sabbath. Now, he hadn't done it yet, but if you count this healing that we read about in our passage today, Jesus heals on seven different Sabbath days. So, you know, the Pharisees have got a point. (laughs) They see this man with a crippled hand, and they are watching to see what Jesus is going to do. That's what they're looking at this day in the temple. That's where their focus is. Now, it's easy for us to have a bit of a poke at the Pharisees, but I know that sometimes when I'm sitting in church, my heart isn't looking in the direction it should. Man, this time, whether you're watching online or you're here today in person, this is a set-aside time and place every week where we get to come and realign our lives with God. What a privilege. Anyway... Jesus sees something that day too. He sees this man. And it's so interesting. This is quite a unique miracle. This man had come into the temple to listen to the teaching, and he'd come to worship his God. And as far as I know, it is the only healing in the Gospels where no one asks to be healed. This man doesn't approach Jesus and ask Jesus to heal him, and he doesn't have friends or family who are coming and asking on his behalf that Jesus heals him. He is there to worship his God, and he happens to have a hand that is shrunken and withered. And this man doesn't know it yet, but he is going to be caught up in one of the sweetest moments of Jesus' ministry. The Pharisees are watching Jesus, and they are ready to pounce if he heals this guy. And the Bible tells us Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what the Pharisees were thinking. Glory be, this is absolutely terrifying. The things that happen in this head of mine, 
There are plenty millions of thoughts that I do not want Jesus to know. (laughs) And yet it is also so comforting to me that there is nothing about me that Jesus doesn't know. He knows the stuff that no one else does, and he's not giving up on us. And Jesus speaks directly to this man with a damaged hand. Man, I wish we knew this guy's name. I have to keep calling him the man with a withered hand. I think we should call him Joe. (laughs) Um, So he doesn't know what the Pharisees are thinking, and he probably doesn't know about the upset over the Sabbath. And he doesn't know what Jesus has in mind when Jesus says to him, come up to the front and stand here with me. He's just there to worship. And Jesus says to him, come and stand in front of everyone. Because that's all what we want to hear on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Bring your brokenness and come stand by me. As a society, we still struggle a little bit with physical disability. We've come a really long way, but there's still some awkwardness sometimes. In Jesus' day, this was magnified a hundred times. Physical deformity was shameful. We're told in the gospel that it was his right hand that was deformed. Now, in Jewish culture, your right hand was more significant than your left hand. It was the hand that you used when you pronounced a blessing over somebody. Your right hand was a symbol of strength. It was the hand that people would use when they made an oath before God. And the Bible speaks a lot about the right hand. It speaks about the right hand of God. Paul speaks about extending the right hand of fellowship. I mean, today, we still use the saying, he's my right-hand man. And this man... His right hand is a withered, useless stump. So Jesus calls this man up, and you know what the Bible tells us? It says, so the man came forward. How beautiful, how courageous. This man just comes. Because Jesus has called him, he comes. He's not trying to hide his brokenness. He's just coming to the one who is calling him close, and he brings his brokenness with him. Friends, Jesus is calling you to come and stand with him today. And then Jesus takes a moment to ask his critics, is the Sabbath a day to do good or to do harm? Maybe we need to stop here and ask for a moment, what is the Sabbath? I mean, what is that all about? It is a bit of a weird word. I mean, you don't go to work on a Monday morning and ask your colleagues, how was your Sabbath? Um, So what do we know about the Sabbath? We know we're meant to keep the Sabbath. We know that it's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. But how are we supposed to do that? And where does the idea of Sabbath come from? Well, if we zoom back all the way to the very beginning, that is where we bump into the first Sabbath day. Our masterful engineering God designed the universe. He created the world, every creature, every burst of nature, 
And then when it was complete and full, he rested. We know that God wasn't tired out. He wasn't exhausted from all that creating. The Bible tells us that God doesn't slumber or sleep. God rested simply so that he could enjoy all he had done. And to show us, the ones who are made in his image, how to best enjoy him and the world that he has created. God models rest for us. He's teaching us to delight in him and to celebrate this beautiful world that he has made so that we can partner with him full of passion and energy as he goes about mending the world. Sabbath helps us remember God loves us. Unfortunately, over time, Sabbath became more of a burden than a blessing. By the time our story happens, the Pharisees had put in place more than 1,500 rules about the Sabbath. That does not sound at all restful to me. Just trying to remember all of them would have me completely stressed out. And I think that's kind of the point. How could people just enjoy God when they were so busy avoiding doing 1,500 things? (laughs) Things like you couldn't carry a needle and thread at the same time on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were meticulous about keeping these rules. God is always about setting free. He is about bringing life. The Sabbath, the day that was meant to usher us into the wide open places of God's grace, had become a tight, squashed jail cell of rules. And what Jesus does here is he reminds them and us what this incredible gift is really about. It's a day of delight. It's a pause in the rush and crush of life. A day where we get to be amazed by our breathtaking partnership with God. Where we are free to enjoy the world around us and to delight in God himself. It's a rhythm where we regularly stop doing and just enjoy. John Mark Comer says that work and rest are teammates. He's clever. He says that the opposite of work isn't rest. The opposite of work is sleep. And he reckons that work and rest were always meant to exist hand in hand. Like a bride and groom, they complement each other. So what are we meant to do on the Sabbath? Celebrate. We celebrate God, and we rest, and we worship. And we do it as a response to God's redemption. Friends, when we keep the Sabbath, we remember that we are no longer slaves. And we also catch a little glimpse of what's to come. You see, Sabbath points to the ultimate rest that we're looking towards in eternity. 
even as Christ followers, our idea of heaven can be skewed. Heaven is not a zombie-like state of nothingness. It's a celebration, a feast. It's where we're filled with astonishment, moment after moment, at the absence of pain and hunger and sadness as we encounter God face to face. And when we celebrate Sabbath, we catch a glimpse of eternity and the joy and abundance of God, of life as God intended it to be. No wonder Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He wasn't downplaying the importance of it. He was showing people what it's meant to be, the culmination of our week, a taste of God's shalom future when all who bow to Jesus will be healed, will be fed, will be free. So what does that mean for us? I don't think we need to get too hung up on exactly what that's supposed to look like. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what it can look like for you in this season. I remember as a little girl, we had a swing in our garden, and I used to spend hours swinging, just spending time with God. Sabbath is God's reminder to spend intentional time with Him. And that can look a hundred different ways. It's not about inactivity. Bottom line is it's about enjoying and celebrating God regularly, making space for Him to fill your soul and rule your life. Okay, so Jesus is teaching us in this Sabbath, in this passage, (laughs) that Sabbath is a gift. But there's something else going on here that I think is equally important. I believe that Jesus is teaching us to see the person in front of us. The religious leaders were so busy trying to trip Jesus up that they didn't see standing right in front of them a man with a story and hurts and hopes. They just see his hand is messed up and they want to use that to catch Jesus out. And even sadder, they don't recognize, standing right in front of them, the very Son of God. Craig and I have been connecting with some new friends, and they have a little girl. She's about three years old, and she gets so excited about stuff. Like, it's almost like she can't quite hold it all in her body. She kind of twists a little bit. And then on, to top it all off, she speaks with a tiny little bit of a lisp. It is absolutely delightful. And when I look at her, I can't help but feel pleasure in my heart. And I see her sisters and how they engage with my two big girls. And there's just such a joy, just at the beauty of who they are, these little people. (laughs) I think that most parents can probably relate to this on some level. Not all the time. But glimpses, hopefully. Maybe it's the grandparents who experience the delight because they get to send the kids back. (laughs) But I think Jesus is teaching us here about seeing people and about loving people. I have been really challenged in this over the last little while. I had someone come to to speak with me um, a while ago 
And we have a variety of people in our home, so we're used to some colorful language. But this was a whole other level. The words that were coming out of her mouth, it was really hard for me to hear past them. And on top of that, on top of the words that she was using, the stuff that she was telling me, it was really hard to see past that. These walls came up inside of me. But here's the thing. She's looking for Jesus. And you know what? It was only by the end of an hour together that I was delighting in the person she is. Past the words, past the things that do need Jesus. It took me an hour to get to the place of just delighting in who she is. Man, I wish I was more like Jesus. I think he goes there first. Come and stand with me. That's what he says. He's not embarrassed about the deformity of our hearts. And I'm so grateful because I am realizing how messed up my heart is. I shouldn't get to stand next to Jesus. But he's inviting me to. So I'm going to come with all the stuff in me that is broken and cracked and that I can't straighten out by myself. I'm going to come and stand with Jesus. Jesus calls this man up and he comes and he stands with Jesus in front of everyone. And Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. And this is the part that gives me goosebumps. Because he can't do that. He can't stretch out his hand. It's withered. That's the point. Jesus is asking him to do something that he has no ability to do on his own. And he knows it. God loves working on our inabilities. We are completely unable to save ourselves. And Jesus knows that. Let's look at what this man doesn't do. He doesn't shy away. He doesn't try to slink out the back of the church quickly. He doesn't try to hide his weakness coming up there with his hand behind his back. He doesn't tell Jesus, no, it's okay, don't worry. I've been living with this for a long time. I've got it more or less figured out. He doesn't make excuses, thinking that maybe Jesus doesn't know he can't stretch out his hand. He doesn't offer suggestions on how to handle things differently. He just obeys. You've probably guessed it, but we're not talking about withered hands anymore. We all have bits inside of us that are shrunken and wounded. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's physical sickness financial struggles, relational realities, mental strain. We have withered places, some of them more visible than others, but man, we've all got them. Sometimes we try to hide them from Jesus. We make excuses. Maybe we think they're there to stay, so we better just get used to them. But Jesus is calling us to come and to bring our brokenness, to stretch out our souls towards our Savior.
there is a story in some ancient records about a group of stonemasons who a couple of years after Jesus' birth were, uh, were ordered to do work for Herod the Great. Now the story goes that Herod wanted to renovate the temple in Jerusalem and so he got together a huge number of builders and among those were 217 Jewish stonemasons. When it was taking longer than expected, Herod got worried that he wasn't going to live to see the project completed, and so he ordered the builders to work seven days a week. One Sabbath, the religious leaders came by and they found these Jewish men working. And as punishment for working on the Sabbath, they took large rocks and crushed the right hands of these men. Can you imagine the pain and shame that those men carried? Now the story goes that it is possible that the man who was in the temple that day was one of the stonemasons whose hand had been crushed years before because he had been working on the Sabbath. I don't know if that story is true. But I do know that there is a person who has looked inside my life and has seen every sin I have ever committed and has heard every ugly thought that has entered my mind and who sees the broken bits of my life and yours and he's taken onto his body on the cross our sin, and he has been crushed so that we can receive life and freedom and hope that we do nothing to earn. Isaiah 53 verse 3 from the message puts it like this, but it was our sin that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sin. He took the punishment that made us whole Through his wounds, we get healed. Jesus knew he would be crushed for our sins, but instead of rejecting us, he calls us to come and stand with him. He invites us to stretch out our hurting bits so that he can love us whole. I want to leave you guys today in a place of wonder. I think that God is smiling at us today. And he's inviting us to come and celebrate him, the greatest father. He's got some beautiful things he wants to show us. So I'm going to wrap up with two verses from the message. It's from 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 to 18, and this is what it says. Whenever, though, they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are, face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete, we're free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah. 
our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Friends, I want to encourage you to go and have a wonderful celebration today. And this week, see the person who is standing in front of you. Love that person. Stretch yourself out in their direction. Invite them to stretch themselves in yours, even the messy bits. And enjoy God. He really enjoys you. Thanks, guys.